Over the next couple months, we have an incredible sponsor that I'm going to keep telling you about. It's Yukon River Knives. Yukon River Knives exists to support missions work in rural Alaska by providing outdoor enthusiasts with premium quality knives. A portion of every purchase goes to helping advance the gospel in rural villages in Alaska. Featuring both handmade and high-quality production knives, Yukon River Knives has curated some of the finest and most useful knives in the market. Go check out their products at yukonriverknives.com and enter Shepherd's Crook at purchase for a coupon code and a 15% discount. As you guys know, in the past, I've worked with Buck Knives. Now, I love Buck Knives, but there's a difference with a knife like that, a mass-produced knife, and the Yukon River Knives. When I think about Yukon River Knives, I'm thinking about a knife that I can give down as a legacy piece to one of my grandsons, and I'm looking forward to that. Also, their small game knife is going to be my primary knife that I use for whitetail season this year and for my boar hunting trip in the early spring. Their knives feel great in the hand, and you can just tell looking at it and the feel of it that it's a well-balanced, great knife with a sharp edge, and it's going to last for a lifetime, and not just my lifetime, but multiple lifetimes. Yes, you can go buy another stock knife, or you can check out what Yukon River's doing and get you a nice, quality, premium knife that you're going to be able to hand down to your grandkids. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. This is episode 195, and today we're going to talk all things hunting. So we're going to talk about the theology of hunting, how and why I personally hunt, and why I think you would enjoy it. Maybe you wouldn't, but at least you'll enjoy, hopefully, hearing about it. We're going to pray, like we always do, and then I want to tell you once again about Yukon River Knives. You're going to be hearing a lot about that company until and through the month of September. But let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into it. Father, we just thank you so much for this day. We ask for blessing upon this time. I pray that you would lead this time. And God, I pray for anybody listening in that this may be helpful for I pray that it would encourage them. I pray it would help them, and maybe they get into hunting as well and enjoy it as much as I have. And uh, we just love you. Thank you for all you're doing. God, I thank you for all the pastors that are listening in. pray for them and their churches. I pray you would help them to lead with humility and humbly walk before you and before them, to walk with boldness where they need to be bold, and compassion where they need to be compassionate. Help us as men to be the men you're calling us to be. We trust you're going to do that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys. <clears throat> Yukon River Knives. I love the company. They're so great. I just saw on Instagram this morning that they posted a picture that said, For I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. I can't help but think about Martin Lloyd-Jones when I hear that or see that verse from Second or from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, I believe. It's on Martin Lloyd-Jones' gravestone. And <clears throat> I actually have a tattoo on my arm about that as well. And it's kind of the one tattoo I regret, though. I wish it wasn't visible. It's the one that's visible to everybody else. But anyways, can't really do anything about it now, right? All right. Yukon River Knives, great company, and they are high-quality legacy knives. You've heard me talk about where I, in the past, have got quantity over quality and have turned the corner over the last five, seven years to get quality products that are going to last over quantity. And so you can go out and you can get you a nice buck knife. You can get you a nice knife that's going to do the job. In fact, that may even last, but it won't be the kind of knife that Yukon River Knives is making. It's a premium knife. Everything about it is quality. You hold it in your hand and you just 
Wrangler Star calls it. He, it gets, gives him the fizz. You get the fizz from holding a Yukon River knife. You can get the hunter or the small game knife and get the job done. And then you can carry that knife on your belt. It's a fixed blade knife. You can carry that on your belt and use that in hunting season, camping season, outdoor season, summertime, whatever, for the next 30, 40 years. And then you can pass it along. It's going to keep a sharp edge on the blade. It's high quality steel. Everything about it is dynamite. So check out Yukon River Knives. You can get a 15% discount by using the coupon code Shepherd's Crook and do that before the month of September gets done and uh, you can get your discount. Okay, let's talk about hunting. All right, why are we doing this? Well, we're doing this because I love to hunt. I was 35 before I got into hunting and then the last few years, I'm only 38 now, this is going to be my fourth year into the woods to hunt for deer. I had a friend of mine at the church that said, why don't you come out to my property, I'll show you the ropes. He mentored me, which is what I'll talk to you about here in just a little bit, about the importance of a mentor when it comes to hunting. And I thought, yeah, I'll just do this one time, and then, you know, I've done it, I'll move on to the next thing, whatever it may be. Well, I fell in love with the whole process. I fell in love, just absolutely love with it. I sat in the woods for 45 minutes that first morning, and out walks this deer, little seven-point buck that's right above me right now. And I shot it at about 70 yards away with my shotgun. In Illinois, you're shooting with a shotgun. And got it, brought it to the processor. Actually, I processed it myself the first time because I had another mentor that showed me how to cut up the deer and get all the cuts and all that kind of stuff. And it was just awesome, the whole process. Got it in my freezer and realized, man, this is just a really great way to provide meat for, for my family. And it went on from there. Since then, I've got more deer, a turkey, shot a bear last year, which is a blast, and have just loved it. I can't wait to get into the stand, sit on the ground, get in the blind this fall. And I've got a friend, now a neighbor, that's another mentor that lets me hunt on his property. I just help him with his stands. He's getting a little bit older. And I put the pads on the stands in the fall, take them off after season's done in January. And it's just a fun time. So I just love hunting. But I want to talk about a few things and then really encourage you because you may be like me where you've never hunted before. You didn't grow up in a hunting family. I did grow up going, getting into the woods and hanging out and fishing and all, all that kind of stuff. But it's just really developed. And for me, it was kind of like, man, where's this been my whole life? And maybe it may be like, like that for you. But you just don't know how to do it. You don't know how to get into it. And you don't know why other guys love it. And so you might be in, disinterested up to this point, when you hear of guys talking about this and even me talking about this or guys that you're pastoring and you just don't get it, well, maybe this will help you get it. So let's just walk through the theology of hunting first and then let's get into the how and the why or the why and the how, okay? So hunting, we, we know that hunting, because death is a post-fall, it's a result of the fall, hunting is a post-fall activity. We know that there's been debate back and forth <clears throat> about the differences between the Edenic state and then after the fall and then after the, the cosmos is fully restored, the consummation of all things, what's going to be the similarities of a global Eden, universal Eden, and what's going to be some of the differences? What is Eden 2.0 going to look like? We know that in the Garden of Eden, there was marriage. In the eternal state, there's going to be marriage, but in a different way. It won't be marriage between a man or a woman. It'll be marriage between the church and the bridegroom, Christ. So there's going to be some differences between the garden and the eternal state, but there's going to be many, many similarities. But after the fall, we can look in the scriptures and we can see the different 
regulations around food in the Old Testament, and we know that in the New Testament, after Christ has fulfilled those laws, we are we have freedom to kill and eat, and foods are clean, and we don't have to worry about those food laws or not concern ourselves. Not like it was bad. The food laws were, were not bad in any way. The law of God is a good thing, but we have, as the New Testament has unfolded, freedom in ways that in the Old Testament they did not have freedoms when it comes to food. But when we get into Leviticus chapter 11 or Deuteronomy chapter 14, we find that the edible animals have to be hunted. So we know there's no other way to get these animals except by way of hunting. We look at fish, there's no other way to get these fish by way of any other way but by by fishing. So in the Old Testament, it was a necessity if you're going to eat meat, and we see that there, Nimrod was a mighty hunter before the Lord. We saw that Esau was a hunter as well, skilled with, skilled to hunt, skilled by the Lord to hunt. And all these animals, these hooved animals that chew their cud, the only way to get them is by way of going out in the woods, getting some sort of weapon, and killing this animal, skinning it, quartering it out, cutting it out, and then cooking it. And so in the Old Testament to the New, hunting is in no way prohibited. In fact, it is a necessity to survive, and that's been the case down through the history of the world. And so when we think about how men got food for their families, it always and inevitably included getting out in the woods, getting out in the water, and providing. Going out, getting the food, slapping it down on the table at home, and your wife comes and makes it awesome. Or you come and work together, and after you cut it up and processed it, get it together and get it on the table after it's been cooked, prepared and cooked. And that's just how things have been from Eden forward. That's a consequence of the fall. Now, when we think about the possibility in the New Testament, it is interesting to think about this. In Luke chapter 24 and in John chapter 21, what we find in the New Testament is even after the resurrection, I think this is fascinating because, I mean, people who get into hunting love it and think about, okay, it's a post-fall activity. Are we going to be able to do this for eternity? And it's just a fun conversation, kind of like who wrote the book of Hebrews because there's nothing in the eternal state that we're going to be disappointed or sad about. So if we don't get to hunt for eternity, if we don't get to fish for eternity, it's not that big of a deal. We can trust the Lord in that. However, there is a theological discussion to be had because Jesus, in Luke chapter 24, in verse 43, did this, and he took it and ate it before them. He, Jesus ate fish. The firstborn of the brethren, the first resurrected body, Jesus, gives us insight to what the restoration of all things is going to look like. And as the restoration is unfolding, and as we see God working in this world, what's it going to look like for eternity? We see apparently the first resurrected body is able to and functioning on fish. This, I think, is an indication that there's going to be a different state for eternity of the, the way we intake food than the state of Eden. Now, I could be wrong on that, but I think this is good indication that somehow or another, fishing is going to be included in the eternal state. These fish had to be caught by these fishermen, by the disciples. They were brought to the beach. Jesus partook of breakfast in John 21, and here in Luke 24 in the upper room, here is Jesus eating food. So, I think Jesus is giving us indication by his actions what eternity is going to look like, which I think will include somehow, and you think, well, how is animal pain included? How is death included? I don't know. There's a lot of question marks that come from that. And fishing is the same category as hunting because you're going out and trying to capture a fish by way of hook or by way of net. Fishing or hunting is the exact same way. You're going out trying to get an animal by way of gun, spear, uh, blowgun, arrow, however it may be. So it's 
discussion to have theologically. There is a theology of hunting, and as it unfolds, there is a theology of hunting pre-fall, post-fall, and then post-resurrection that you need to work through or think through. And even if you're not a hunter, if you're just at, you know in pastoral ministry thinking about fun theological categories, this is one to think about. Now, why would we hunt? Why would we want to hunt? And if you're here listening in, I'm here doing a ad for Yukon River Knives and have done a video on Gab already about how to get into hunting. So why am I talking to pastors about this? And here's the thing. I I just want to encourage you pastors to be a provider beyond getting a paycheck. I want to encourage you to get out and figure out how to hunt. And I'll talk to you about the, the, the how here in just a minute and provide for your family. Men are providers, and that means we're more than a paycheck, more than just the the healthy environment that we create in the family to build a you know these kingdom outposts for as an example for the rest of the congregation and for the world. We provide. Hunting has a way of toughening you up as a man. Now, I, just an example. I grew up in a home where my father could take a little twenty-two and take out a cat that we ran over in the yard just by putting a bullet in it and bury it in the backyard. My dad grew up in the country. He had to put down animals all the time when he was a kid. His dad would say, here's the gun, go out, do this. The, the dog has been hit by a car. And dig a hole, shoot it, you know, put it in the, put it in the hole. Uh, <laughs> take the cats that are feral cats and, you know, these cats that uh, knocked up our cats and go drop them off in the woods somewhere and kill them all or whatever. I mean, that's that's how he grew up. It's country life, southern Illinois, just a different way than most people who grew up in, in the city could even, I mean, imagine. And so he grew up with the ability to kill or take life when he needed to. And I admired him for that. Now, fast forward, I was a little bit insulated from that. My dad was a country bumpkin. My mom was a leave it to beaver cleaver kind of girl. She grew up with four daughters, four sisters, three sisters. There were four girls and a family where her dad was a hunter. But it was just a different family than my mom grew up or than my dad grew up in. And so I grew up where my dad was able to handle animal pain, do what was required, get out and do the dirty work. And although he was not a hunter, I knew that my dad could put our animals down and we wouldn't go to the vet because we actually did as the years went on. But early on, he would just take care of it. He would deal with it. And I remember thinking, how in the world could my dad do that? You know, how do you, because for me, it's just so personal. I love these. These are pets. These are animals. How could you, you know, take out an animal that's been so precious, you know, that kind of thing. And fast forward to marriage, we got married. Jordan and I got married 12 years ago. Let me get a sip of coffee here. We get married. And I remember one particular moment where there was a bird in the backyard. His bird had fallen out of a tree and it injured itself. And Jordan's like, we'll just take it out, get a shovel and kill it. And there's something turned inside of me where I realized, oh my gosh, like I can't even take an animal's life, a bird that needs to be taken out. What the heck's wrong with me? And I needed to be able to take life. I needed to be able to take the life of an animal and do what, what's required. When we have now these cats, there's probably going to be a hawk or a neighborhood or a possum or a raccoon or something like that that's going to injure our cats at some point. I'm going to need to be able to do that. And here's the deal. Hunting helped me toughen up as a man and be the kind of man that can kill an animal, open it up, field dress it, cut it up, blood on my hands, there's the meat, and I mean, the whole process, it was really good for me. And that happened, like I said, just three or four years ago. And for me now, it's not that I'm, I'm calloused in a wrong sort of way, but you get calloused in a good sort of way where you can handle blood, guts, death, 
of an animal and I could go out and take out an animal no problem now and it's just a different mentality. There's something that happens that clicks in you and that's how men have functioned and operated down through, I mean, you go back until from Eden, from the fall forward, men have had to, had to do this. This has been the way life has been. It's an aspect of provision. And so you, maybe in your mind you're settling, maybe I should try this. Maybe I should get out and fish this spring. Maybe I should get out and fish this fall before the winter comes. And then maybe I should fill my freezer with, you know, I've got a video on Gab about how to fillet a fish. And, okay, be thinking about it. But then the next question is, okay, if I want to do this, if I want to try it, everybody talks about the high barrier of entry of hunting and how do I get into it and what do I do next kind of thing. And so I just want to lay this out for you because I don't think the barrier of entry is very high with hunting at all. It is if you're just a gear guy and you're wanting to go out and get the best of the gear that, that you can possibly buy and all the, the guns and all the ammo right now that you need to do. But if you want to take it the route I did, it's not that expensive. And so I'm just going to take you through the route I did. And I generally find the cheapest, most proficient way to do anything that I possibly want to do. I'm finding it the, the easiest way to get into it. I got a wood stove installed for just right at $2,000 total because I got used stuff and I took my time to get high quality things that I needed to get because I don't want my house to burn down. But was able to do that for a reasonable price because I'm wanting to take the time and I'm wanting to be a good steward of money. Same thing with hunting. There's a way to get into hunting that doesn't cost you a million dollars. Okay, So let's go, go through a couple of these things. First, if you say today, I want to get into hunting, I want to get online, figure out how to do this, I'm just going to tell you. First thing you got to do is the hunter safety course. If you don't have that in your, if you don't have that in your history, if you've never taken a hunter safety course, you cannot go out and hunt. You cannot get a license to hunt anything in whatever state that you're in. Every single state in the United States requires you to take a hunter safety course. It's a course that you just take one time. You don't ever have to take it again. You get a little card certificate that says that you've taken the course and you got to keep that in your gun safe. You got to keep that wherever you keep your, your things or store your things and you got to keep that for the rest of your life. I've got it right there in my gun safe and it's not going anywhere. So you got to do your hunter safety course. In Illinois, you have to be nine years old before you can take this course. So next year, Ransom's eight right now. We'll be going through that course next year for him and then you can just get it done and over with. In Illinois, it's a two-day course. You do not have to have a field day, but it is a two-day course. It's free if you go live. If you do it online, it's not free. you got to pay a little bit of money to do it, but it is something that is, I think, informative. I think it's helpful, and I don't think it's some silly, silly, you know, uh, you know, just political thing. I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing to do. You get some good information. And it's just a neat little rite of passage. Yes, I've done my hunter safety course before you get into hunting. So you got to look it up. Each county generally has several throughout the year that they do. And you don't have to be in the same county uh, of your hunter safety course. You can go to the next county over, the next county over, figure it out where it's at. And, you know, if you have to drive 30 minutes or 45 minutes, you know, big whoop. You gotta have your hunter safety course. The next thing you need is a mentor. Somebody around you hunts. You just may, may not know it. You may have to ask around, but you need to find a mentor that's going to help you. And most likely, if you can find the mentor, they're gonna be able to show you, okay, if you're wanting to hunt rabbit, if you're wanting to hunt squirrel, if you're just wanting to get into this in that way to get small game, here's where you're gonna go. Find somebody that's near you that can be a mentor and answer all the little questions that you have. Um, you know, scent control. Is that a big deal or not when you're hunting deer? Do I need, what's the difference between camo from deer to turkey because turkey's eyesight's better and the smell, the sniffer of a deer is better. So all those kind of things that you may want to ask, they can answer those questions for you in a better way than online. And each, each people are going to have some different theories about that when it comes to scent control or whatever. And keep in mind, when it comes to camo and gear, all your grandpas and great grandpas, they were hunting in the buffalo plaid. They were hunting for deer anyways in buffalo plaid and they were just sitting still. The best camo is sit still, don't move. That's always the best camo. And you'll hear that if you're around hunters long enough. 
But what you need to do is 180 course, then find a mentor. And then here's what I did. Over Christmas time, three or four years ago, after I knew, after I found my mentor, he showed me the ropes. He even said, hey, use my gun. And I used his gun and got that first deer and realized, okay, I do want to do this. What's next? You get what's next. So what I did in Illinois, you have to hunt deer with a shotgun. That We just actually had a rifle law come into play, so there are certain rifles that we can use. Uh, but <clears throat> I'm going to keep hunting with a slug gun. And so what I did is I got a Mossberg shotgun that is a double barrel shotgun. And so it's a Mossberg 500. I've got, not double barrels, interchangeable barrels. So I've got a field barrel on there with different chokes that came with it. And you'll just figure out what a choke means for different uh, small game. You do different chokes. You got to get a tur turkey choke. And basically that just keeps the, the shotgun wad tighter or looser depending upon the game that you're shooting. And I, I knew that if I had a field barrel, then I can shoot for all the small game, shoot with this gun. And then because I had a deer barrel on there, a rifled out barrel with a cantilever barrel on it to where I can put a scope on it, I knew this can be my one gun that can do everything in the state of Illinois I need it to do. I can shoot deer and I can shoot squirrel uh, or shoot uh, turkey or rabbit with this gun just by interchanging the barrel. And that gun was under $400. So for Christmas, I asked for everybody, said, here's what I want, money towards this gun. And in one Christmas, there's a gun that I can take down everything in Illinois I need to take down with one gun. Then I thought about a, a gun. I needed a rifle, and so I was thinking I wanted to take some big game. What's one gun that I could take down big game all across the country, no matter what it was, from a moose down to you know something, I don't know, like an elk or even a deer in some states? <clears throat> and I decided... I would get a 308 win. I got a 308 rifle that has helped me. I took down a black bear with it, and it was, I think, under $400 as well. And the way I got that gun, I sold a bunch of stuff. I sold a bunch of stuff. I just looked around, what are some things that I have that I've enjoyed in the past that I don't enjoy anymore, or some extra tools that are laying around in my shed or garage. I sold on a marketplace, and I made enough money through selling things that I don't use anymore, and I bought the gun. It was very low barrier of entry. I didn't go out and just have to slap it on credit card. Don't do that. You guys are wise enough to know that. Uh, I didn't have to just wait even and save it. I just sold some stuff, went out and got the gun, got what I needed. So with those two guns, I'm able to take down anything in North America, and then I wanted to get into bow hunting. I got into the, the hunting public, which is a great way to get a ton of information. The hunting public guys, you can get on YouTube and get a bunch of free information that's just phenomenal. And I wanted to get into bow hunting. The, the season for deer season is longer in bow hunting. And I got a, just a starter bow. And then recently, by selling something else, I was able to get a bow. And I, I've got all the gear that I need now when it comes to bow, guns, and all of that to hunt any game that I need to hunt in our area and then really in North America. Now, when it comes to like camo and that sort of gear, it's going to be a thing for you where I, I went out and I bought used camo. I got it at yard sales. I got it all over the place for really cheap and was able to get all the things I need to get to hunt just in a couple years through Christmas, birthday, that kind of thing. Ask your parents. Most of you are still getting some sort of Christmas from parents, friends. Your wife is getting you something for, for Christmas. And just ask, I want this piece of hunting gear. And the things that you normally get throughout the year, instead of getting something you don't want to get, get something or, or something that, you know, some random thing, again, just get something that's going to be with you for a long time. And because you don't wear camo very often, I mean, the stuff that you get, the gear that you get, it's going to last you for many, many years. And so if you get that mentor, if you get the basics of what you need and have that mentor walk you through, here's what gun you should get, here's what gun I have, here's what's used good for me, and all that kind of stuff, you'll be able to get all your answers, your questions answered live face-to-face -face from guys that are right there with you. And here's the deal. When you get into this, and maybe 
maybe you don't get into it. Maybe you try it once and, and you don't really like it in the same way I do. But there's something about hunting that gets you back into what it means to be a man. And here's the thing for pastors. Many pastors drift towards softness. You just drift towards softness. You're not able to take the life of an animal. You're not able to process a deer. The thought of that may even be repugnant to many of you, where it's like, how in the world can somebody open up a deer, look at the innards of that deer, and rip it out with your bare hands and blood all over you? And you may think, how in the world is that even possible? Guys, it is. You can do it. And I think, it's for me anyways, been very good, very helpful, and it's made me a better man. It's made me a better father. It's made me a better husband. And this year, what's going to be so great is when you see that freezer full of meat, and you go out and you do your shopping in your freezer. You go downstairs and you get out what you need and you and you make it, prepare it, and eat it. There's something incredible about it, about being a provider in that way. And here's the deal. Have fun with it. There's so much fun to it. You can start thinking about it and growing. And you can be a gear guy and get into it pretty deep. If you walk with some wisdom, though, it doesn't have to cost you a million dollars. It really doesn't. It is a low barrier of entry, I think. And I didn't even talk about licensing. If you want to go hunting, you have to go get a license for, you know, every year you got to get a hunting and fishing license. And then if you want to, you got to get tags and stuff if you're going to hunt your deer. And if you're going to get a turkey, you got to hunt with a tag and all that kind of stuff. Just look that stuff up. Those are things that your mentor can tell you. But I would encourage you. I think there's a lot of great things with hunting, and it's going to be a family thing for us for the long haul. It's going to be something that we can do well beyond the ability to play basketball or to play baseball. This is going to last with us for a long, a long time. And so, anyways, I want to encourage you. Check it out. Go uh, um, uh, check out the hunting public if you haven't, and that can really be helpful for deer hunting, whitetail, Midwest whitetail hunting, and it's just a fun show to watch. If this has been helpful, please consider leaving a rating review. I know this is a little bit different episode, but something fun to me and, and hopefully would be fun to you something for you to look into that the whole family can enjoy and anyways thanks so much thanks for listening to shepherd's court podcast please leave a rating or review on itunes if you're watching on gab please subscribe and share this thank you so much and i hope you guys have a great rest of your day